Hello and welcome to the Talkie Indonesia podcast. I'm your host Dave McRae from the University of Melbourne's Asia Institute and today we discuss the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on Indonesia's micro, small and medium enterprises sector, so-called MSMEs. Surveys consistently show this sector, in which most Indonesians work, to be hard hit by public health measures in response to COVID-19 and by the broader economic downturn caused by the pandemic. How have these impacts varied for different micro, small and medium enterprises? How has the sector adapted to the pandemic? And has government assistance addressed the sector's needs? To discuss these issues, I'm joined today by Nurul Widyaningrum, Executive Director of Akatiga, the Centre for Social Analysis, who has written widely about MSMEs in Indonesia. Today's episode is the latest in the Policy and Focus series of Talking Indonesia episodes, supported by the Knowledge Sector Initiative, or KSI, a partnership between the Australian and Indonesian governments that aims to improve the use of evidence in development policy making. Policy and Focus episodes appear periodically in alternate weeks to regular Talking Indonesia episodes. Norul, thanks so much for joining us on Talking Indonesia today. Thank you, and thanks for having me too. No, it's a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. And could I start by asking you, when we talk about micro, small and medium enterprises in Indonesia, what range of businesses does that cover? Actually, I think I'd like to start with looking at the government definition. So we have the law number 20 on 28. They group the medium, small and micro enterprises based on their annual net asset or value. For example, a micro enterprises are those business whose net asset is 50 million rupiahs and annual sales is 300 million. Then small business are those with asset between 50 to 500 million and their annual sales between 300 million to 2.5 billion. And then the medium ones are those with assets between 500 million to 10 billion, annual sales between 2.5 billion to 50 billion. So it's quite a wide range of interval between the asset value and the annual sales value. This definition actually has been quite criticized because it's not captured the real characteristic of MSME in the field. It's also difficult to actually capture because many of the business actors in the field, they sometimes don't have a, like a good record on their asset values and in their annual sales. So it's quite difficult to capture these values from their perspective. And I don't know if you heard, but we have this new law, the Undang-Undang Cipta Kerja or Job Creation Law. One of the elements of the law is the micro, small, medium enterprises in Indonesia. And the first things that they have is the modification of the definition. So in that new law, the definition will include the number of workers, net assets, annual incomes, and the value range for assets or sales will be determined by the sector. So the law itself did not regulate the definition, but the sector will be regulated in the government's regulations. 
even if that law doesn't specify the number of staff and those other features that you mentioned. I mean, are you able to give us a rough guide of how many staff would we expect to see in the largest of these MSMEs down to presumably some of the micro enterprises only have a single person working at them? So what we know so far is it can be different across the business sectors, you know. So, for example, the industry sector, like the manufacturing sector, they might have a slightly different than the trade and service sector. In industry, I think the general consensus now is that those with the maximum number of five workers will be categorized as micro. And then between five to, I think it's 50, it's like small enterprises, and then 50 to maybe 100, I have to check but i think that's the number that is medium so it will be different with the trade sector or service sector like for example if you see a small retail will be either between one but very few retail sectors that have above 10 for example to be categorized as small medium so it will depend on which sector that we will look at when you talk about businesses on that scale in this micro small and medium enterprise category Are they primarily oriented to the Indonesian market or are these businesses that are also involved in exporting goods and services? So in terms of market, the majority of the MSME are the local markets and we actually do have MSME that export their products, but that's a very few number of them that do that. I think the Ministry of Cooperative actually have this data about how many SMEs that are doing export, maybe like around 13% of the MSME that are registered in Indonesia that do the export. What was the overall situation for this part of the economy prior to the COVID-19 pandemic? Was it operating particularly strongly? Were there particular challenges that you'd highlight for MSMEs in Indonesia? Yeah, so the MSMEs in Indonesia is the sector that absorb most labor force, but put in urban and area. And since the Asian financial crisis in 1998, there has been some discharge that the MSMEs are the backbones of Indonesian economics because during the Asian financial crisis, they are the sectors that were resilient in that there were still quite a large proportions of MSMEs that survived or even strived during that period. In general, I think most research pointed out that the characteristic of the MSMEs in Indonesia is that we have a large number of business sectors that are in a very bottom or very micro level, which only one or two workers or even like self-employed and only a few in the middle or in the small categories. So the large number of these very small or micro enterprises and many of them are not really enterprises it's very much like at the very subsistence level the very small margin of profit and well there is a jargon about the msmes as the backbone of the indonesian economics we actually see that as a sector they are quite resilient as shown in the asian financial crisis but at the individual level there are a lot of vulnerability from the individual or household shocks. So we heard stories when one of the household members are sick and then the money for business should go to the household expenses, things like that. So at the very individual level, they are quite vulnerable. And at this moment, the Indonesian government has started the 70 nets. They try to capture the informal sector to be included in this social security system, but it's still very far from being realized fully. What is it about the sector that makes it resilient? 
So I think the resilience is because we also talk about formal and informal sector. And it's kind of like an overlap that Indonesian MSMEs are mostly informal. And so it's easy to set up a warung or a food stall or uh, a retail shops in front of your home or garage or something like that. So it's easy to enter the informal sector, but also it's easy to get out. So we have like a lot of new players coming, but it's also possible that a lot of players exit from the sector because of these vulnerabilities. With that situation that you've outlined, uh, a sector that the individual level is vulnerable to shocks, has an imperfect social safety net, and yet has an overall resilience because of the low capital, I guess, needed to start a business. How has that all played out in the context of COVID-19 and in particular the economic crisis that that has caused in, in Indonesia and indeed across the globe? I think we can look at the survey from the PPS a couple months ago. So they surveyed the MSMEs in Indonesia and the general finding is that the sectors that are more impacted in terms of like the decreasing of sales and some of them also also reducing their number of workers are in the food, hotel services and industry. And these are the sectors where a lot of MSMEs are actually play, especially in the food productions and services like restaurants. However, I think I sometimes like to look at what we observe daily. Now that I saw still people who actually pass across my house, they, they are still the same person who sell the same things before COVID. So they're still trying to do their business as usual. So I think while the impacts might be kind of like severe in terms of like the reducing of incomes, there is still very little choice, especially for micro and small enterprises to stop completely to go out of business. Also in Indonesia, we don't have like a system when we declare bankruptcy for a business, so especially for the MSME. So I think there is little options for the MSMEs unless they try to keep on doing what they do. And then there is also some changes on the way they do their businesses. Like for example, the BPS survive found that the business that are able to survive are those who are able to diversify their product services and those who already use the information technologies, like when they are already connected to the online platform like GoCheck or Grab, so that they are able to keep promote their businesses, their products, and market their products. But then I think there is still a lot of things that we need to explore, actually, because there are a lot of variations at the micro level. So how this crisis actually impact them, what strategies they use that they can survive at their business and then at their household level is still a lot of things that still we need to actually find out. You mentioned that particularly in the micro sector, many of these people and businesses have no choice but to keep operating. Do we see from that survey from Indonesia's statistics agency, BPS, any indication of how many businesses have been forced to close down altogether because of the COVID pandemic? So they actually didn't mention about how many are already closed. They report the percentage of the MSMEs that experience some of these indicators. For example, 23% of the MSMEs that they surveyed expressed that they experienced the decreasing of sales or order or customers. And then, for example, also 19% of them experienced difficulties in getting access to the raw material for their businesses. So, I think the survey is all to the businesses that still operated when they do the survey. So they didn't really have the numbers of the businesses that are actually closed. 
I'm sitting here in Melbourne recording this where we've had a very long lockdown as a result of COVID-19 requiring large segments of the economy to stop operating altogether. And one of the streams of analysis that has come out of that has been to highlight the very gendered impact of that lockdown. It had a disproportionate impact on women from the sectors of the economy that were forced to cease operating. Um, Do we see similar analysis in Indonesia regarding the impact on MSMEs, either from that statistics agency survey or from other analysis? So I think the analysis on the impact of the pandemic at the MSME based on gender is still lacking, but there are other studies from, for example, the Komnas Perempuan, the National Commissions on Anti-Violence Against Women, showing that there are a couple of impacts for women. Uh, for example, I think this is also observed in other countries, increase the number of domestic violence, especially to women from the low-income level. And then there is also the reduce of household income, also increase household burden for women, especially because many schools are closed or at least uh, doing the distance learning. So the burden for extra children's education mostly fell to women. And so what we need to have more studies to look at how this impact at the household and the individual level affect their businesses. And also in terms of job loss and income decreasing, how that a different between women and men. And that's something that the statistic has been a very a little about that. In the data that we do have available, you mentioned the food and hotel services sector being particularly impacted. Do we see other differences in the experience of different MSMEs, be it between different parts of the country or depending on how severe COVID has been in a, in a particular area or how severe the lockdown has been? Food industries and food services are mostly women, so we can predict that there is a more impact in terms of layoff or reducing uh, working hours to these groups, and maybe that there is a gender impact in terms of that. But many food industries, especially like at the household level, is also done by women, and I think there are some different characteristics on which businesses that survive, because if you live in a neighborhood like in Indonesia, you also observe that there are more women going to business, especially during the pandemic, because many households open the food business and sell at the neighborhood level. So it's more like see the loss from the formal sectors, but also the opening of the new businesses at the household level. And it's different way of marketing. And instead of opening a new stall, they offer it through the WhatsApp group, but also through online. So starting the business at the local and neighborhood level is one of the strategies that they do to cope with the decreasing sales uh, because of the social distancing measures. That's a really interesting adaptation. That resilience to me is really interesting because I I know from some of your previous work, you've compared the impacts of this current COVID pandemic, both with the 98 Asian financial crisis that you mentioned before, and also the 2008 global economic crisis. Do we see key differences in the impacts on MSMEs and indeed on their resilience between those three different economic crises? The impacts diverse across the MSMEs between this crisis and before because what we do have in this crisis that was not there in the previous crisis is the social distancing measures and that limits the mobility. The social distancing measure is not only happen at the city level, but sometimes when the neighborhood has a case of COVID, 
or they prevent the neighborhood from the infection from outside, they also limit the mobility of people from outside the neighborhood to get in. So, for example, where I live, the neighborhood where I live used to have like three or four entrance from the outside neighborhood. Now we just limit that to one access and then it's only open like not 24 hours. So that limits the mobile vendors who use their motorcycle to sell their products. And so these measures didn't exist in the 1998s. So in the 1998s, we observed that from the many layoffs from the industrial sector, from the manufacturers, there was an interesting trend at that time that suddenly we saw a lot of like a cafe tenda or like a food vendor, but not like the traditional one that we had, but like some sort of like cafes on the streets. And that's usually were people that were laid off from their formal jobs. In this crisis, we don't see that because the government, and that's for a good reason that limit the restaurants and business uh, like food services. So I think there is a little smaller uh, options for small business to market their products. On the other hand, we have now that the information technology services that were not exist in 1998, especially the WhatsApp group at the community levels that are used by the small enterprises to promote their products, to offer their products. So the characteristic of the crisis between now and back then is different and that affects the strategy that they use to survive. The use of WhatsApp as a marketing tool to adapt to the pandemic is fascinating. Are there other ways that we see MSMEs adapting to the current COVID-19 pandemic and the restrictions on movement so that they can keep operating? Yes. So WhatsApp is one of the tools that they I observe they most use uh, a lot now for MSMEs to sell their products. And those who are already in the online platform system like Kocek or Grab, they were able to survive because the consumers can access their products without having to go to their business uh, to get their products. There are also some MSMEs that were able to diversify their products. So you probably observed that a lot of cloth masks being produced by garment industries that experience declines in their other products. And then there is a story of a small garment industry in Bogor who quickly switched to produce the other APDs, the, the protection measures like mask and protection clothes quickly, and then they export to South Korea. So those kind of things that those who are quick to get the opportunity, then they will be able to survive. Obviously, you're outlining sort of a lot of initiative being taken by businesses themselves there to survive this pandemic. Um, beyond that, what support has the Indonesian government provided so far to micro, small and medium enterprises as a result of COVID-19? The government has a few measures to support the MSMEs. So we have this credit restructuration, so where the MSMEs who have loans to the banks can reschedule their loan payments or the negotiate the interest rates. And then the government also provides some new investments for UMKM, so provide loan through the government-owned banks with a lower interest. And then the government relaxed the social distancing measures for uh, UMKM or the MSMEs in the agriculture, household industry, or traditional markets. So they are allowed to open with the health protocol. And more recently, the government in their program to 
fasten the economic restructuring, they provide cash support for about 9 million of the micro-level business in terms of cash transfers of 2.0 million per businesses. So this uh, support is provided to those uh, micro-businesses who has not received any other government support yet. And then also the government encourages us government spending, you know, like for example, um, through procurement system uh, to prioritize to buy from the MSME's products. So these are some of the steps that are provided by the government. I think that's a good start to provide safety nets for uh, many micro businesses in Indonesia. And as usual, there are some key issues in the implementation. So for example, if the micro business want to get the support, then they have to register themselves through the either the local cooperatives or the local office government at the kabupaten or the kota level. The, sorry, the district or the municipal level. Yes, the city and district level. And then I think there is a little fabrication process from the governments to look at whether these MSMEs are actually doing business. And then another case is like the lack of information for especially MSMEs that are in the rural area. So my previous domestic worker who opened a small food stall in her village in district of Garut, um, three hours driving from Bandung, and it's difficult for her to get to the government's office in Garut because of lack of transportation. So things like that kind of like limiting the access of micro businesses, especially in the rural area, to get help, to get that support. That's the issues of implementation. But I think there is also, in terms of the main goal, if the government's main goal is for economic recovery, then these measures are not enough because there are not enough analysis on which micro business that actually will survive. There was an interview of President Jokowi with one of these micro business that received this support. And when asked whether his business uh, would survive after being provided with this help, he would answer that no, because his market actually declined. So the support is helpful for him or his family as a safety net, but not enough to actually make his business running again. So there should be an analysis on which MSMEs that actually most potential to maintaining the job and job creation and sustainable at the same time. Uh, obviously, taking on board, as you said, this requires an assessment to answer properly. But you mentioned the government assistance as good as a, a safety net, but not necessarily to keep businesses going. Are there extra steps that even before an assessment you'd recommend that the government should be taking to help businesses to keep operating? Yeah, so I think there should be an assessment first, you know, to see the business that can strive. And it can be coming from the bottom up. So not only the governments identify themselves, but also coming from the business associations and not only the formal ones that already like being close with the government, like Cardin or something like that, but also with many NGOs that work with small businesses and identifying which business that not only survive, but also maintaining their workers, but also like the opening the new markets. And so those kind of MSEs are quite a potential for the economic restructuring. And at the same time, because I think in Akatiga, we argue that helping the market side of this MSMEs are the key to provide like a sustainable support for the MSMEs. So the government can also uh, identify initiatives 
from either private sectors or NGOs that actually help the MSMEs to maintain their markets and their business performance and so support initiatives instead of like directly provide uh, the support to MSMEs or to directly government try to open the market for MSMEs, then they can identify which initiative actually work and then support those initiatives. Could you give some examples of what those initiatives might look like? Yeah, so in Akatiga, we actually try to help some agriculture business in district of Kabupaten in central Java, where we help to connect those farmers to the market outside the Kabupaten itself, so to get better price for the farmers. And so if such initiatives like finding the markets is supported by the government, then by providing some sort of appropriate trainings for the farmers, then that can be one way to support the market initiatives for the SMEs. For the government's part, we've actually seen, you know, the minister responsible for micro, small and medium enterprises, Teten Mastuki, claiming that that job creation omnibus law that you mentioned earlier in the podcast would help MSMEs because it eases permit requirements and provides incentives for larger businesses to partner with the sector. Is that your assessment of how the job creation law is likely to operate? Is it likely to improve the situation for MSMEs in the context of the pandemic? I think the thing about partnership between large business and MSMEs is not a new thing. And there have been cases in Indonesia and maybe other countries. So we saw that partnership at the value chain, at the automotive industry and spare parts. The automotive industry subcontracting the productions of spare parts to small industries. And then there are partnerships in terms of special allocations for MSMEs products in big business. So for example, in Bandung, we have this big mall that provides specific space for medium and small enterprises with a very low rent because the large businesses consider that it would invite many consumers to come to the mall. So we saw that. In our past studies, we also see that some partnerships are actually exploitative to the uh, micro and small businesses because the partnership didn't provide opportunity for the MSMEs to develop their skills or their techniques and then there are some dependency in terms of market with the big businesses. So we can say that partnership between uh, large business to MSM can be either exploitative or very uh, productive to the MSME. So the challenge is in how to enforce the monitoring on how this partnership will work and how to prevent that the partnership become exploitative and how to provide like a disincentive or some kind of maybe sanction to partnership that are actually exploitative to the MSMEs. So I think the devil is in the details on how uh, the government can provide the monitoring and enforcement to the regulations. And in terms of like easing permit requirements, the omnibus law actually provide a lot of easing permit requirements for MSMEs. So the idea is for MSMEs to just do the one registration and they will automatically be registered. They don't really have to complete uh, a lot of requirements. And then other certificates like halal certificates, for example, the halal certificates for the MSMEs can be based on the statement from the MSMEs themselves. So no need for like certifications from the halal institution. So that a lot of them are quite actually a very good start for the MSMEs when they want to register. But the thing is that we should also look at what incentives for the MSMEs to get registered. So right now, 
businesses like small businesses or micro businesses, they tend to get registers if they want to either get the government's credit or if they want uh, maybe like start to export their products. So many of them are not registered because they don't see like what the benefits of doing registration. On the other hand, some of the MSMEs also consider that they themselves have registered, especially those who are in the public area. So, for example, you know, like street vendors who are in the sidewalks or in the public parks, they pay some kind of like retribution or money, like daily or monthly to some actors. And so they consider themselves as a register or legal. So how to provide incentive for the MSMEs to register is a, a key where, you know, like if the MSMEs can see that once if they register, they can get access of information to a lot of support, then they probably will be more encouraged to register. What I'm saying is that easing permit requirements for MSMEs is a good start, but still it should be followed with other measures too. Does that mean it's too early to have a sense of how the job creation law is going to impact on MSMEs? Again, we will have to see in the details of the government's regulations that is now being formulated based on this uh, law because it's a very general in terms of like what support can be and will be provided for the MSME. So I think we will need to see that in the more detailed regulations. One of the criticisms of that job creation law has been that there was very limited opportunity for, I guess, societal groups to have input uh, into the contents of the law. Yes. Do you expect that yourself at Akatiga or, or MSMEs directly will have the opportunity to have input on the government regulations that will set out those details? So at the beginning uh, of the law's uh, formulation early this year, January, we actually got invited by the Ministry of Cooperative and the MSMEs, Pak Tetens Mastuki's office, to provide input for this law. But at that time, we were only asked to provide the inputs for the MSMEs part. So the contents of other part of the law were not published or given to us. So I think every component of the law was getting feedback, but like very separately. And it was difficult because the law itself is a big one. And so we kind of like need to see the interconnections between each components to see how whether this law actually will be benefit for the MSMEs. For example, there are some regulations in the labor relation part that will affect the MSMEs that we didn't get the opportunity to provide input on that part. So I think the criticism is correct because uh, the process was very close so that it created a lot of speculations during the formulation. So yeah, and then the formulations of the government's regulations that provide the details of the omnibus law, yeah, it's still close now. So we are trying to get into the discussions with the ministry to provide some input. Yet one of the weaknesses of this law is for such a big law, there is a very limited public participation in terms of content. I mean, are you optimistic that you're going to be able to participate in a more meaningful way in the remaining drafting of those regulations? Yeah, I think we try our best. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm a more helpful class. And there is a good response from the Ministry of Cooperative and the MSMEs to get feedback from those who already provide feedback from the previous processes. So I think we can try to provide more detailed input. But I think it's also on the ministry side on how they will want to see implementation of this law, like uh, whether they want to take a more active role in MSME's development or they want to be like just business as usual.
So that's something that we also need to look more in the process. Obviously, this job creation law is one thing that may have a lasting impact on MSMEs in Indonesia. Perhaps as as just a final point of discussion, could I ask, what sort of lasting impacts do you think the COVID-19 pandemic itself might have on MSMEs in Indonesia going forward? I think we we realize that this pandemic is not going away very soon, especially with the government's approach to handle this. So some of the protocols might need to stay long, like especially the health practices. I will hope that these health practices will stay long, like small things like providing hand wash facilities in business places. And then I think other than that, if we want to have this pandemic to be an opportunity to transform the MSME sector, it will need more definitive steps aside just providing like a social safety nets, how to encourage and to help the MSMEs to use the information and technology and then how we capitalize the social network and support that already there for the MSMEs to be more sustainable uh, in the long term. Those kind of things still are kind of like good for now, but we need to really look at how we can capitalize them and then use them to support the MSMEs in the long run. There's still a lot I could ask you, Norol, about MSMEs and the steps that we needed ahead, uh, but I'm afraid we're well and truly out of time. So thanks so much for joining us on Talking Indonesia today. It's been great. Thank you for having me. That was Norul Widyaningrum, Executive Director of Akatiga, the Centre for Social Analysis. Keep an eye out for the Policy in Focus tagline for future instalments in the Policy in Focus series of Talking Indonesia. Policy in Focus episodes are edited by Eric Van Bemmel and Kelvin Param and appear periodically in alternate weeks to regular Talking Indonesia episodes. Don't forget, you can find the entire archive of Talking Indonesia episodes for free at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog or wherever you get your podcasts. Talking Indonesia returns on 19 November with my co-host Dr Gemma Purdy. Until then, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. Bye for now. Thank you.